Hello and welcome to Super Women, a podcast designed to help you manage your money and to end the gender gap that forces so many women into poverty when they leave work. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Really Simple Money team and MLC, helping Australians plan for a better retirement. In the studio is illustrious Super Women team, Bernadette Chua, who is leading our campaign. Hi, Bern. Howdy, Rosie. Hello. And our campaign director, Peter Lynch. Rosie, hello. Hello. And I'm Rosie Jacobs. I'm your host and the Superwoman Campaign Coordinator. That sounds very official. I like it. (laughs) Now, today we want to talk about why super is so important, particularly for women. I know it seems a very long way off for some of us. And you You're know, a girl of 18, Rosie, I, right? Well, I was going to say 29, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. But we're going to show you what happens if you do ignore your super savings. Now, I can tell you it ain't pretty. Mm-mm. We'll be talking to an Australian film producer who's about to launch a new movie-length documentary called Undercover about women who, after a lifetime of work and family duties, find themselves destitute. Oh, that's scary. Now you'll need a box of Kleenex. These stories are sad, but do not switch off. We all really do need to hear this. Yeah, it's pretty confronting. And and here's what I'm actually really looking forward to. We'll be talking to well-known author, Kathy Lett. She's a living legend. Um, She's got a new book out, Till Death or a Little Maiming Do Us Part. That sounds so Kathy. That's a tongue twister (laughs) for sure. Not sure how much I should be looking forward to that myself. (laughs) The book is about a bigamist and the synopsis says, revenge is best served steaming hot on top of an exocet missile. Oh, ouch. That sounds, sounds painful. Yeah. Wait, can you say that 10 times really fast? <laughs> <laughs> After hot toddy. Oh, and of course, we've got our sage advice spot from Jen Frost of The Reality Check. Today, and this has never been a more important time, given the enormous rise to the cost of living at the moment, we will be discussing how you can protect your savings. Spot on. Mm. So, wait, shopping in Aldi. (laughs) Buy a samurai sword. Protect it. To rob a bank. (laughs) No, 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 that's not sage advice. But first, let's get an update on our campaign to persuade our illustrious political leaders to pass legislation so super payments continue while young couples are on parental leave. Peter, what's new? Well, first, I've got great news. We've reached more than one million Australians. (gasps) One million with the message that super should be paid on parental leave. Okay. So um, we've only got uh, 19 million of them out there to go. But I'm sure they'll we're, all talk. We're working hard. That is quite a milestone, to be honest. I'm and really here's, here's something to really applaud. We've sent more than 12,000 protest letters to our political leaders. No wonder they're all scurrying around the country. <laughs> People like Josh Frydenberg and Jane Hume, the Minister for Superannuation, have been on the receiving end yep. of hundreds of our readers' letters. Good. Mm. And Greens and Independents are supporting the campaign. Almost the entire superannuation industry think it's the right thing to do. But so far, the coalition says they can't afford it. Mm. Even though it costs less than the commuter car parks, they keep promising in marginal electorates. Haven't they been promising that for the last 20 Mm. years or so? Shame. Mm -mm. And Labour simply can't make up its mind. Last election, they supported it. And this time, they have yet to tell us. Though Deputy Leader and Shadow Minister for Women Tanya Plibersek 
did tell us exclusively there was enormous support inside the party. Cool. So we've got a bit of work to do. Please keep your support coming at reallysimplemoney.com.au forward slash superwomen. And that's super with an A. Love it. And Peter, I think the idea of our next guest's film actually provided the inspiration for the campaign. Is that right? Yes, Rose, that's absolutely right. A friend told us about Sue Thompson's documentary on women who find themselves homeless at the end of their lives. They were looking for case studies, and we realised the film would provide many of our really simple money readers with the proof that super is important to their lives and alert them to the dangers of ignoring retirement savings. Yes, and as we keep saying, Women 55 Plus are the fastest growing group of homeless in Australia today, and that's a scandal. Sue Thompson is the director of Libertarian Productions and has credits as diverse as work with the ABC and Tempest at the Drop-In, a featured documentary about a group of people with serious mental health issues who decide to feature in Shakespeare's The Tempest. It was narrated by Eric Banner, one of my personal favourite What actors. it is. Yes, <laughs> and much of her work shines a light on areas of our society that are being ignored. Sue, a very warm welcome to you today. Hello, everybody. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. We're really delighted to have you. I know your throat isn't ideal today, so uh, we're all in it together. But first of all, you've done a lot of good work airing issues that go unnoticed by mainstream news organisations, and your latest work is about women aged 55 plus who find themselves homeless at the end of a lifetime of work or family duties. This is a big passion of ours, as you know. So what made you look at this problem? I suppose, probably like you, I had been reading about it quite a lot in newspapers and hearing about it in the press. And as a woman over 50 who has worked in the arts my entire life, I realised that superannuation was something that as a young woman I never gave any thought to. And as an older woman, everyone was asking me about it and I realised I didn't have it. Now, I am also a mother of three children, two of whom are girls, and I started to think about their lives and their futures, the fact that I'm still with my partner and we've managed to eke out an existence and survive both of us working in the arts is, you know, a small miracle when I've watched lots of my friends sort of drop away through the years because it's actually very tough to survive on this sort of money. Anyway, I've managed to do it. Brian and I have done it together and we're, you know, a wonderful team and I feel very lucky that we've done that together. But how do I know that's going to happen for my girls? So it was a really a personal thing. I just thought, I, it could be me. It could so easily be me, one of these women whose relationship had broken down and was unable maybe to get another job and through no fault of her own suddenly was dipping into super if she had it and if she didn't have it, potentially, you know, finding herself unable to pay her rent or her mortgage. So, yeah, it really resonated. It was a personal thing. Yeah. And I guess talking about the whole rental thing and, you know, relying on your partner, you know, we know one of your subjects really well. Glen Marie Frost is a big supporter of our campaign. And obviously she's gone through the struggles of, you know, losing her home, having no superannuation because she wasn't aware. So mm. could you tell us some of the other stories Undercover will be airing when it shows at the Melbourne Film Festival in August, Sue? 
I read that question. I thought, I don't know which one to, to pick or choose. <laughs> I mean, they're all incredible. Okay. And there's one, one woman, Margaret, um, she sort of stands out to me. I'm not sure why. Margaret is 71. She spent her nearly her entire super of about $48,000 on buying a all-in-one van that has, you know, a kitchen and a little mm. toilet and stuff. And she left Melbourne and went to visit her children in Brisbane and has been driving around Australia since 2018. And her marriage broke down many years ago, like when the children were still quite young and she worked really hard. And she said, I always thought I needed to own a home. And so she had a home, she was paying off the mortgage, but um, her life amounted to nothing. And she said, by the time I got to about 50, I really still hadn't paid off much of my mortgage. Mm -hmm. And I wondered what life was all about. So she said, I did, I have taken a risk. I've cashed in my super. And she certainly didn't have a lot of super, but She's trying to find joy in life and to mm. do, she's called the hidden homeless. Mm. That's what our whole film was about women like her. That you might meet in a shop or mm. a supermarket um, and you wouldn't think that Margaret would be homeless. Yeah. She doesn't present. She's not someone lying in the street. These are women who are trying to carry on with their lives as best as they possibly can, but basically are living on a knife's edge. I wonder if that is part of the problem, just to jump in there, because, you know, when it's not in your face, then it goes unnoticed and the problem, it doesn't get the momentum of people trying to make changes to it. It's almost like it's swept under the carpet when people are so good at making it look like they're coping, um, you know, they're presentable, they're in the shops, you're chatting to them at the cafe and they are, it's hidden. It's it's almost as if we need to start putting some fairy lights on these homeless people and but saying, I, you know, hey, I, we've got a problem in you society. Know, what I found so fascinating about Glenn Marie was Glenn Marie was still in Sydney's black, like, you know, in the black books of all these amazing mm politicians and dressing up to the nines every day exactly well, I mean that's she, her personality you know, yeah, exactly. but it was just that you know like Helen McCormack had already said I had no idea that Glenn Marie when she was sleeping on my couch was in fact homeless and not renovating her multi-million dollar mansion mm-hmm. in the eastern suburbs you know so. well I've, I've seen the trailer and two things that really stood out when I watched that trailer Sue and I must say it's a really emotional experience was how many times your interview subject said I just never saw it coming. Mm. And they never thought it would be them, like Glenn Marie. Nobody thinks, I don't, I think, because most of the women in the film are, you know, like all of us, they're hardworking, they're, you know, they've done the right thing in society and they knew about homelessness. But to every, to all of us, we think of homelessness as people living on the streets. But when you actually find there's one woman, Susan, who's living, was living in her flat in Elwood in Victoria. and she was a high-powered advertising executive, travelled around the world, mixed with really famous people, a bit like Glenn Marie, and through a whole series of events, including, you know, some mental health issues, she said, I got to the point where I couldn't go forward and I couldn't go back. I couldn't pay my mortgage. I couldn't pay my rent. Sorry, she didn't own the flat. She was renting it. But I couldn't get out of it because I didn't have anywhere to go, and that's the fear. And then someone finally got her into, you know, a meeting with women's housing. So she did. But 
it's interesting hearing you say, like, do we need to know more about it? The thing is women are very proud Hmm. and dignified. I think probably, I don't know about you, I don't know if I would be telling people how dire things were before. That's Hmm. very true. And I think I would think, no, no, I can get through this. I can, I can, I've always managed in the past, I'll get through this. And then suddenly it gets to the point where you actually have no money in your bank account, no money to access. You're getting older. You can't pay your rent or your bills. It's like, what do you do? Yes. I know. I must say another part of the trailer that really affected me was, was actually realizing, and there's just one little bit where actually they're going to sort of public lavatories and making up so that nobody knows Mm. that they're actually homeless. Uh, And that woman, uh, again, in the trailer who said, in 10 weeks, I lost my husband, I lost my home, and I lost my dignity was really Mm. astonishing. Yeah, that, um, to be honest, that's Heather. And um, she's since passed, since we've done that. So yeah, I mean, this is what, you know, life is so complex and the women in this film, there's such a myriad of incredible stories, but there is all this tinge of sadness always. And and that's what's interesting about this film. There's not a lot of joy in Undercover and I tend to make films that have hope and the women have, there is definitely hope, but um, it's funny, I've sort of made a film that doesn't have a resolution well, I kind of feel, and I think it's why we adopted this. So strangely enough, Sue, you were a real inspiration for our campaign. Mm. And I've told your story time and again, mm-hmm. because as you know, we, you know, really simple money talks to the 30 plus group, but but I really think that's where your story needs to be shown and to resonate because that's really the hard lesson of why women need to take care of themselves individually. Mm. Mm. Okay, so I we had a little screening the other day. I'll just jump in and say <clears throat> to sh- we had to show the whole Melbourne Film Festival staff the film just before it's totally finished because they have to promote it because they're the first people that show it in August. And um, my two daughters, one's 26 and one's 24, were both there sitting next to me and Adam, the producer, and, you know, there were 24 people there. But what I was interested in, in my older daughter in particular, Claudia, hasn't seen anything, and she was completely riveted. I looked a couple of times at her because there's a shot in there that she should recognise. She didn't even recognise it. She was so engaged in the stories, and she just said we all had to leave afterwards. She said, said, oh, my God, Mum, that was so moving. And, you know, it's not a you don't sob through this film because these women are actually quite strong they don't want you to cry for them but what my daughter was what made me thrilled is that she was taken on a journey and I thought like you're saying this is for her and this is for her age group you know it's also for much younger women or you know females I should say I'm a mum same as you are and I have two daughters and my girls are primary school age so you know as I've heard a little rumour that you're doing, um, you're planning on doing an impact campaign that might take your documentary to schools. Is that true? Um, Absolutely. More than just schools. I mean, the whole idea of the impact campaign is that we would hopefully 
get to get it in front of governments. That's, you know, one of our main issues because if you can make change with government, so there is, we have got a screening that we've been talking about with um, New South Wales Parliament, but hopefully we'll get it to a federal level. Um, but, yeah, we're going to have, we'll take it to schools. Hopefully a couple of the women will come and share their stories. I mean, yeah, imagine if I had heard about this stuff when I was in primary school, I, I, I think it would be my bank account would look very different than it does today. You know, I I didn't, I was so naive. I was so naive. And um, I think we do need, there's a big job to be done to educate not just girls, boys and girls about the future, our future, their future, and, and you know, that, that's stable and that you can be independent of anyone, you know. I think I found the common thread. So maybe we shouldn't go into media, perhaps. So us podcasters maybe might be able to bolster <laughs> our superannuation if perhaps we were in finance instead. Uh, yeah, yeah, not idea. a bad idea. <laughs> I'm not sure crypto yeah. traders are any better off. Than that, so. <laughs> uh, well, that does sound like one of the things that we can be doing is, you know, getting the education happening mm. so that we don't have generations of of young women and as you said young guys as well I mean these are the other halves of the marriages Mm -hmm. that are you know just continuing the cycle and and I I have to say I hit the streets recently with um with a bit of a vox pop around this topic and out of the people in the street that I chatted to I interviewed men and women mm. and young men and women and 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 it was some of the young blokes that were quite aware of it which really gave me some hope um and young women that said that they'd recently been educated about it and and I do have faith that there's going to be a shift in society and I I know that my mother's generation and and even my generation um, you know, there is such a naivety. We we haven't been provided with the information we've needed, but I do think that your project and and other similar education projects are just going to be exactly what's needed. Would you agree? So, I mean, what else can we be doing? Yeah, well, exactly. What else can we be doing except trying to work within the system to make change? And, you know, hopefully we'll come up with some sort of a resource pack like you know a financial booklet that will go along with the film into schools Mm. you know partnering with people like you that we can you know maybe make a change in the world that's what this is what we all work in these industries for that would be fabulous particularly for the women they'd feel they would have contributed to something really significant yeah that's a really good idea absolutely well you know it's interesting like in schools we I mean my friends and I talk about curriculum changes and rather than I guess talking about macroeconomics we should talk about you know microeconomics as well Mm -hmm. you know in education like the education system it's all the little stuff that you learn in school that will resonate later on in life yeah but it's not just um you know being armed with the information it's about feeling empowered Mm. and feeling brave enough to have the conversations Mm. that it's no longer taboo to speak with your partner in a relationship about the finances oh don't worry i yell at danny all the time about the finances (laughs) (laughs) you do wear the pants in that one oh i sure do (laughs) (laughs) oh so we can't thank you enough for your time today and of course undercover will be shown at the Melbourne Film Festival, which runs from the 4th till the 21st of August. Um, so be sure to see it if you can. And Sue, so I hear that the ABC are also planning to show it. Wouldn't that be great? 
Yes, the ABC will be showing a one-hour version um, of the film in November 2022, awesome. which is about two months after the Melbourne Film Festival show, the feature-length version. Excellent. We'll have to have a, a movie night, guys. We'll or we yes. should, maybe we should go down to the film launch and just stand outside hey. with placards saying, oh. go soon. Oh, <laughs> That's a great, great idea. Love we'll it. be there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. We'll bring out bean bags. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Peter no, will be in his pyjamas. I will. I will. I <laughs> love it. I'll get the popcorn then. Oh, so we can't <laughs> thank you enough for your time. We look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Thank you very thank much. Thank you so much for Best having me, guys. Take care. Thanks, Sue. Now we go over to one of Australia's best love writers and one of my personal favourites, actually, Kathy Lett, author of 17 books, including the legendary Puberty Blues, prolific columnist, TV commentator and gender equality warrior. She's just published her latest book, Till Death or A Little Maiming, Do Us Part. <laughs> Kathy, welcome to our podcast and many thanks for talking to us from London, where I know it's pretty early there this morning. It's pretty early, yeah. <laughs> I've just had a coffee. I've, you know, saddled up a coffee bean and ridden it around the kitchen a few times. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good visual. Now, Kathy, <laughs> you were one of the first to support our campaign, and I know you've been in the forefront of the fight for gender equality for many years. So, first up, can you tell us why you are so keen for women to get super on parental leave payments? Well, first of all, even though women make up 50% of the workforce, we're still doing, I'd say, what, 99.9% mm. of all the housework and all the childcare. I used to have my argument, this argument with my own husband saying he had to help me all around the house. He'd be like, well, I'd like to, um, but I'm a man and I can't multitask. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure every woman has heard that from the man in her life. And it's a biological cop-out because no man would have any trouble multitasking at, say, an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> and holding a beer and playing pool at the same time. They do it every week. And a cigarette. Yeah, Don't forget the cigarette. And they're all going on. Yeah. So that does doesn't wash but mm -hmm. um, what makes feminists my age crazy is we've been saying the same things for so long so many decades I've been saying the same things since I was a teenager writing puberty blues mm -hmm. and what's changed yep. so um I always say that uh you know equal pay that's our biggest fight um and that women have you know we have to still hitting our head on the glass ceiling and we're supposed to clean it while we're up there <laughs> so you know any woman of a post-feminist has kept her wonder bra and burned her brains. But we also have this second <laughs> glass ceiling, which is the domestic glass ceiling at home, because we are still doing all of the all the housework and childcare. Mm. And then when it comes to super, um, I mean, in fact, Peter got was told me the statistics, which I didn't know it was it was so low that only twelve percent of men take up their paternity leave. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely so, true. So you know that, that that the burden is still falling on women, and women juggle. Working mums juggle so much you could be in the Cirque du Soleil. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so how do we go about changing changing those attitudes, Kathy? I mean, I absolutely understand where you're at and totally agree. But do you think there's a problem with the 55 plus generation or is it a problem with young women today as well? Well, I think women are brought up, girls are brought up to be decorative and demure still. Mm, really? You know, I think when I mm. talk in schools, I always say to young women, you know, don't wait to be rescued by a knight in shining Armani. You know, stand on your own, stand on your own two 
I mean, if you don't have to sign, if you don't sign the prenup, then it's fine, right? Yeah. (laughs) Or as Byrne says, a man is not a plan. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then there's that fantastic ad that Peter showed me, the Canadian Mm -hmm. ad that's all about telling. So you can explain it, Peter. I think it absolutely nails it. I mean, it's an ad by uh, a Canadian bank, in fact, which you'll find on YouTube, uh, by the BMO Bank, in fact, which tells the story of Jane, a young girl who really wants to break out, but at every turn, she's completely foiled by society's attitudes towards her, in fact. Mm. So she just cannot change her condition because nobody will accept her for what she is. And I think there is a bit of that in this argument. Mm. And I think the language is sewn in, the sexist language is sewn into our psyche. I mean, it's right through the lingo. Um, First of all, a a man who's good at his job is a go-getter, leadership material, whatever. A woman with exactly the same qualities is a ball breaker, a bitch, you know, she's pushy, Mm. she's got her claws out, she's, you know. Man-eater. A man-eater, exactly. And then, and also there's the, same double standards when it comes to sexuality, which hasn't changed since puberty blues days. You mm. know, a guy who's sexually active is a love god, a stud muffin, a, a, a Romeo, a Lothario, a spunk rat, as yeah. we say in the Shire. <laughs> right. Um, you know. I don't think they say that in the UK, though, do they? I'm afraid got, not. Yes. No, but they do say it in the Shire, for sure. Cronulla, here we come. <laughs> but a woman with the same sexual appetites is a slut, a tart, a mm. tramp, a mole. That has not changed. You know, men still expect you to be so virginal. It's like virginal. It's like when the guy says to you, oh, darling, darling, am I the first man to make love to you? Ew. To which the woman replied, of course. I don't know why you <laughs> men keep asking the same silly Kathy, <laughs> <laughs> they don't have very good memories, that's all. <laughs> oh, I do love a great quote that I heard once and it, it goes something. It was a very f- famous woman whose name escapes me, but somebody asked her, um, do you believe in housekeeping? And she replied, oh, darling, I've kept every house I've ever lived oh, in. Oh, good girl indeed. There it is. Of course, you would be the one to know that. Yes, thank you, Kathy. It was pretty but also witty. And, of course, looks are a diminishing asset, whereas wit can get sharper and sharper. So when, whenever I talk to young women, I always say to them, um, th- your one-liners are a, a skill. I think women have what I call the black belt and tongue foo, mm. that we can shoot lit with a lethal one-liner. Yes. Um, and we know that uh, women are more verbally dexterous. We use on average about 450 more words in our daily vocabulary than the average bloke. Mm. When you're going out at night or going to the office in the morning, you are underdressed unless you've tucked a couple of wonderful one-liners up your trouser leg because <laughs> if, a, if a man is belittling you or you're bullying you in any way or making you feel, you know, um, sexually vulnerable. If you can nuke him with a fantastic one-liner and give a bit of quiplash yes. and make other people laugh at him, you've completely taken away his power. So, so it's, it's really important to develop what I call the black belt in tongue foo yeah. and just be able to, you know, have, have this verbal armory. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a skill that women must develop. But so t- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some of these tomorrow when I come into work, Peter. Okay. I, 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 now that I've been warned, now that I've been warned, tongue foo will be the order of the office. Peter would never belittle anybody. But I think I disarm him before he gets to the verbal bullying anyway, so well, it's fine. Th- yes, I have to say you're very good at that. But, but Cathy, the really important part is 
whether or not we can actually get the next generation of women to take their finances seriously and act as independents. In other words, think of their own super as their own and consider their own futures outside the family. Because with a divorce rate of 50%, it's 50% chance you'll be standing on your own. Mm. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, women know more about the sperm bank than they know about their, their own bank. <laughs> so true. And it's always been that kind of weird sexist divide that the, the my mother's generation would, would always say to the, the husbands, you know, you look after the money, I'll, you know, I'll be baking the cupcakes. Mm-hmm. But we should not be doing that now. Women have to get more savvy about money, not be afraid to talk about it. Yes, exactly. You know, women have what we call princess syndrome where we'll be at work and we'll sit there waiting for someone to come out and say well, you what a great job you've done here's your tiara <laughs> whereas a man will go into the boss's office and say I am really good I'm worth this much you know mm. give me a throne so we have to learn that, that it's not um a taboo subject we can yeah. talk about it and just and, and I, I've, I learned that from Sheryl Sandberg too about mm. the leaning in idea yeah. that you know lean in you know space and I think I think my daughter and her generation are better at that because mm. they've been raised by feminists yeah so and but my mom was a feminist too I mean she was completely unusual that she was the only one of my um the only mother in my whole group growing up at school who had not just a job but a vocation she was a headmistress mm. uh, and principals we, we we had this fantastic role model in her, but that was incredibly unusual. But now, of course, women are working, so women girls can see that their the, their mother is as important in the breadwinning department as the father. But of course, the mothers always are the ones who pull back if the child's sick. They're the ones who stay home. You know, we're still carrying all of that burden, which is where you know we lose out on super because we take extra time off and then we don't have our super payments. And then, you know, as 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 even as the kids grow up, then you're worrying about your parents and taking care of them. And we're always doing the emotional um, caring, which is why we fall back financially. Mm. But it's vitally important because you know we don't want to go into old age poverty stricken which mm. you see so much of now and you know sometimes men say to me oh you feminists you know you're asking for so much you know mm. you're too, it's too much and I go is it really we'd like equal pay we'd like equal super we'd like men to work out the mutual orgasms not an insurance company <laughs> <laughs> we'd, like, we'd like them to do the odd sensitive thing with snow peas in the kitchen because the way to a woman's heart is not through her stomach that is not aiming to so oh, it's through yeah, manolo of lonix thank you very it's, much it's, it's through housework <laughs> haven't you seen that stat that, that oh, women listen. find it sexually arousing when a man does housework well you know what rosie i, I haven't think, seen that stat i don't heard that Get I my eye You know what? I'm happy to mop if Danny buys me a pair of $1,700 shoes. Oh, so you're the shoe girl. I am the no, shoe girl. get me a man taking the bins out any day. Oh. There's nothing attractive as a man in a, in a cooking apron. So true. Honestly, Is there anything is underneath it? the apron though, Kathy? <laughs> that's, that's optional. No, nothing. Okay, of course. But <laughs> what does a woman really want in bed? And I'm like, breakfast. Breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Oh, now speaking about men, actually, a man is not a plan is a phrase often used by financial educators to try and teach women to think independently. And one of our campaign supporters, Glenn Marie Frost, a former corporate PR who ended up sleeping in her car, believes men often plan their finances before a marriage breakup, leaving their partner with nothing to live on. So your latest book, Kathy, sounds like a story with a similar warning and without giving too much away, could you tell us what is the plot? 
yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's a very topical um, mm. book in that way. Yeah. If, if little, um, Till Death or a Little Light Mamie Angel's Part starts with um, a woman, a 60-year-old woman driving to school. She's a teacher and she hears on the radio that a man's been taken by a shark exactly where her husband oh. swims every morning. So she tears down to the beach and, you know, she realises, yes, it is her husband who's missing. Oh, my and God, just I'm when she's, already, I'm in. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Just when she's starting to grieve and panic, another woman turns up, a 50-year-old woman called Tish, um, a jazz singer, and she's riding a motorbike, <laughs> who says that it's her husband. Oops. And they quickly realise they're married to the same guy who has disappeared all of their money. I'd do oh, a runner so too if I was him. Yeah. Gosh, it's an odd couple comedy where they end up, you know, buddying up to chase their money around the world and get it back. Yeah. And it's a steep learning curve for them to realise how naive they've been about their finances, how trusting and, you know, and, and not allowing the man to, to invest and not knowing where all the investments are, which is pretty typical. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's a funny book. I wanted to write a book that just made that made women laugh because after the two years we've had the pandemic and now rootin' tootin' shootin' putin' if we ever needed to laugh more. <laughs> but I, I also wanted to big up female friendship because I always say that your women friends are your human wonder bras, you know, uplifting, yes. supportive. And well, there's all. Better. <laughs> Who said but I that? also wanted to say to women, you know, just get more savvy about money. It's, yeah. it's not a dirty word. Well, as you said before, you know, let's take the taboo out of it, not just women chatting to each other about the conversation, but making it acceptable for women to have those conversations in their relationships, in their with their boyfriend, with their you know, fiancé, with their husband, to know exactly where that money is, where it's going, and, and to have that all on the table. Well, you know, Cathy, you also raise another interesting point is that women don't really support each other enough, mm. I feel. I, mean, I think it's I think the narrative is changing now, but you know, I think in terms of finances, you know, having other women talking about and being transparent mm. about their finances would be really helpful as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Really helpful. Well, I mean, I think actually Australian women are really good at friendship. I mean, I, I've lived in America, Britain, Australia, and I think Australian women are the world's best kept secret, funny, mm, feisty, yes. frank, loyal, loving, absolutely fab, you know. Yeah. So I've never, I've always thought that I've had a lot of human wonder bras in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Money, you're right, money is something we don't talk about mm. and I think it's because we don't want to look as though we're big noting ourselves mm. or as though we're, we're being, um, you know, we're, we're, we're getting love bites on our mirror and being and going through the tunnel of love holding our own hands mm. and it shouldn't be a taboo subject. You know, we should talk about it openly as well, the way men do and be bold about it. So, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a really good initiative. But I, th I think as well in my mother's generation, um, you know, with that conservative Australian, you know, from the farm and mm. whatnot, to talk about money was um, a taboo because it was a bit dirty mm. to talk about it. It's It made you look um, a bit desperate mm. in some ways, whereas that's changing now. It's sort of, you know, Bernadette and I will come in and have a good old chin wag and, yeah. and one of the first things we say is, oh, you know, how's so Well, I, I'll yes. tell you now, Rosie, I'm broke because I just bought another two pairs. Of, shoes, of course you know. did, Doug. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> but I love those shoes. Good yes, taste. I love shoes. Yeah. You, yeah. I always think if you put your foot in your mouth as often as I do, it's got to be well shot. Exactly. <laughs> or if you're going to step all over somebody, they've got to be great shoes. 
<laughs> so true. Oh, do you know what oh, I true. like saying? You, this is a good one if you do want to judge your friendships. Um, never judge a woman until you've walked a mile in their shoes. So do you, that are, way, we, are we the same size? No, no, no. <laughs> let me finish because that way if you walk a mile in their shoes and then you decide you don't really like them, well, you're a mile away and you've got their shoes. Oh, and then you can sell them on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> They're not going to find you. <laughs> The nice thing that happens to women as you age, I mean, you know, the menopause gets such a bad rap. I mm. think for women, life is in two acts. I think the trick is surviving the interval, which is the menopause, which is hideous, mm. where you, you sweat so much it's like the Gestapo had a confession <laughs> out of you. But on the other side of that, this wonderful thing happens where your estrogen levels drop. Estrogen is your caring, sharing hormone. And your testosterone comes up. So you get a little bit more bolshy, a little mm. bit more bossy, a little bit more like a little bit more selfish, a little bit more like a bloke, basically. Assertive. Where you actually yeah. say, yeah, and you say the things that you're thinking. Sometimes I'm thinking something and then I suddenly think, oh sure, I just said that out loud. Yes. And it's so liberating. I love that. And it's a shame it takes that time in your life for a woman to be able to just as I said earlier, claim your space. I think I'm already there, Kathy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to grow a set of balls as quickly as possible and just claim I'm going through menopause. Yeah. So, Kathy, yeah. one, one question. Labia of steel, I would say, labia of steel. So, <laughs> Kathy, one question we often ask guests is, what's the best piece of financial advice you've ever been given? Oh, gosh. Um isn't that funny? It's hard to even think of anyone even ever giving me financial advice. Mm. Okay. I can't even Even think that of in any- itself answers the question, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a real issue for women that we don't talk about money. Yeah. We're not we're not sort of educated at school how to think about investments. Okay, I w- I would give advice. I would say to you to any younger woman listening is that I'm now 63 and that came around really friggin' fast. <laughs> and I remember when um, I did start putting money into a pension when I was, um, I guess, in my 30s and I kept thinking, what a waste of money. I'm never going to need this, you know. Mm. Why can't I just go and buy another pair of shoes? But I did do it because, you know, I knew that that's what my mum had done. Um, and I'm 63 and I can draw down on my pension in, in at 67 or whatever. Yep. And I am so freaking glad that I did that. Yes. But I only did it, as I said, because I think my mother do it. Um, it comes around really, really fast. Great like advice. Of an eye, Ooh, that of a is, that's a good warning. So don't put it off is what Great I would advice. say. Yeah, and speaking of uh, good good advice and good stories, Till Death or A Little Maiming Do Us Part is published by Random House and is available at all leading bookstores. Kathy, I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. And Me neither. Thank you so much for your time and for supporting this campaign today. We're so grateful to chat with you. Oh, and thanks for getting up, Kathy. So nice <laughs> and with Peter as well. Peter, yeah. he must be ovulated by now. <laughs> <laughs> I can see his estrogen levels like, rising. Yeah, now testosterone levels are going up. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Fabulous. Thank you very okay. much. Kathy. Thanks. Thank Lovely to see you all. Big kiss from London. Take Tarek, care. Take care now. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Da, da, da. Time for my favorite time of the podcast with the legendary Jen Frost, money expert from Insignia Financial, formerly known as IWOF. Now, 
this is our regular spot. It is my favorite. Jen, the name of it comes from your own podcast called The Reality Check. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. What have we got happening this week, Jen? Well, I'm pretty excited about this episode, Rosie. Perhaps not quite as sexy as some of the sexy super stuff we've spoken about previously, but fundamentally important. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how to protect the wealth that we have and potentially something more relevant than ever given the volatility we've lived in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I have no doubt that we can make this sexy. Uh, (laughs) That's a challenge. (laughs) Okay, so today's challenge protecting our long-term financial situation, our, our positions for the longevity. I I think this is a big one, but it's not something that we like to sit around thinking about in our 30s or even our 20s, is it? No, absolutely not. And in fact, at any age, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is hopefully, and hopefully in some of the previous podcasts, we've we've tried to make people excited about making money and about, you know, investing in themselves and, and even in budgeting and savings. That comes with this sort of joy of we've got a little bit more money perhaps than we did yesterday. Now, the thing that is is just kind of not that fun in any way is thinking about when things might go wrong. And it's it's really awful. It's awful thinking about anyone we love getting sick. It's awful thinking about ourselves getting sick or 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 something unforeseen happening, whether that's job loss or or anything else. And then in turn it's awful thinking about death. But it is fundamentally important, and so I hope we, we hold the audience with me just for one moment longer. It is fundamentally important to think about these things and put some measures into place. Yeah, this isn't a luxury anymore to, to have your emergency plan in place. This is just a given. In the current climate, we need to be protected. And our you know younger women of Australia, we need to know that just from the outset. It's it's lock it in now and off we go. So let's talk about some of these biggest dangers that we're facing in the current climate, everything from interest rate rises to high mortgages, job losses, everything that you've just mentioned there, Jen, it is a reality. Not that we want to start off down the negative track here, but let's just be a bit grounded about it, right? Yeah, exactly right. And I think I think it's exactly that. We no one wants to sit here today and think that something bad is going to happen, but people get sick, people lose their jobs, and it is as important to try and build our wealth and build that beautiful money tree that is our lives. It's equally as important to protect it. So I'd love just to talk a little bit more, Rosie, today about a couple of different ways that we should be protecting our finances because I think, Rosie, maybe there's kind of three or four key aspects that I want to talk about. I want to talk about an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about insurance. I want to talk about protecting your family and yourself and your income through insurance. And then I want to talk a little bit about estate planning, which is planning for the future. None of these are new things, right? Like I'm not telling anyone, I'm not mentioning anything that they haven't heard before, but... I want to start at the beginning and that is an emergency fund. Now, this is specifically important for those unforeseen circumstances that come up. And these, uh, to put some colour to this, I want people to think about uh, crashing your car. I want people to think about, you know, six-year-olds accidentally left the bath running and you flooded two rooms in your house. Mm. I want to think about... The dog gets hit by a car. 
Right. Oh, the dog gets poorly. I mean, goodness, dogs, they, they are an expensive little thing. If You know, if they get sick and there's a big fat vet bill, yeah. these are all the sorts of things that I think if we go back to our budgeting episode, Rosie, they aren't necessarily things that we factor into our day-to-day budgeting because it's hard to kind of think of all of these things that are out of our control. And that's where an emergency fund comes into place. So one of the most common questions we get through the reality check is how much money is the right number to have in my emergency fund? Yeah. Does it come down to a percentage? Or how do you work it out? Oh gosh, Rosie. Look, it's incredibly individual. It is incredibly individual. I I personally love the thought of having about a quarter, even a half if possible, but certainly a quarter of your annual income. What? Right. That's a dream. Mm. It's a dream. It's a dream. Now I'm saying that because I want to, I want to put a big, big fat dream out there to our audience. And now let's rein it back and go, how many of us have zero dollars in that emergency fund? Yeah. Most. Yeah. Most. Okay, so you just came out with a big scare tactic there. I did. Purposely. <laughs> I saw your face. You just went, <laughs> I see what you're doing. All right. I did that on purpose. Yeah. I mean, let's be realistic. Most people don't have an emergency fund at all. Absolutely. All right. and, and most could never afford. There's so many other things in their life, they couldn't afford to keep a quarter of an annual income sitting in an account. Nor you know, do we have that discipline. I mean, oh, God. absolutely. So the most important thing is, is that I'm going to be this kind of, um, I, don't, I don't know, unclear about it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be this personalized about it. Pick a number, pick a number right now. That is your goal for your emergency fund this year. Now that goal might be a thousand dollars. That goal might be $5,000. Mm. I want you to think about, I want the audience to think about that number right now. I want you to literally write it down on a piece of paper. That is your emergency fund number. Got it. Right? Now you can have to figure out how you're going to get there. And you know what I love, Rosie? I love automation. You know, so try and can you divide that by 52 weeks of the year and can you put a set amount in as an automated direct debit into an account? Break it down. It's a lot more achievable when you do it that way. One of the other ones that I've seen loads of different people online doing it, and I think it's wildly good fun. I really do love it. Is let's say let's say the amount was a hundred just to make life easier. So you're going to put a hundred dollars into your emergency account this year. Then get your kids to help you rip up different pieces of paper with different dollar amounts on it. So some might be two dollars, some might be ten, some might be fifteen dollars. Chuck them in an envelope. And every month, pick a number out of the envelope and transfer that amount into your emergency fund. By the end of the year, you're going to have that total amount. So have fun with it. Whatever you're doing, guys, do it. (laughs) Just to be clear, we're not actually talking about ripping up money and putting that (laughs) in the envelope. Yeah, just to be clear. Um, Write a number on a piece of paper. Good thing we don't have paper money anymore. Okay. Emergency fund, tick, done. Love that. Emergency fund. Number two, we talked about insurance, yeah? Yeah, insurance. Now, this is a huge conversation, Rosie, and we only have time to just really scratch the surface of this at the moment. But I I just want to bring this to light. Um, Personal insurances. Now, this covers life insurance. It covers something called TPD, which is total and permanent disablement or disability. Mm -hmm. There is income protection and there is trauma insurance. Now, these are four different types of personal insurances. One life obviously pays a lump sum when you die. Yeah. So they're paying that to whoever you've left behind. Yeah. Second, TPD, that is a, a payment made when you have become totally and permanently disabled. So that means you can never work again. And, and that another obvious reason why that insurance can be very, very powerful. 
Yes. The third income protection is a range of measurements that would dictate that you cannot work, perhaps temporarily, for a period of time, and in turn, income protection kicks in and pays a cover of that income that you are missing out on, perhaps because you are unwell or have been in an accident. Yeah. And finally, trauma, which is specifically linked to a large number of health events, and they are the common ones. They are heart attack, stroke, cancer. If you get one of those conditions and have trauma insurance in place at a lump sum, so whether that's $50,000, $100,000, $500,000 is paid to you as a lump sum when you are diagnosed with one of those significant health conditions. Now, I want to be really, really clear about this, guys. These insurances come in many different formats. You can, you would have seen the ads if you've ever watched daytime TV. You can pick up the phone and you can get it yourself. Mm. Alternatively, there is retail cover, which in many ways, and that often comes through financial advice, and that is the cover that um, often has many, many caveats and bells and whistles and things that are fundamentally important. This is complex stuff. It is costly. It's horrible to think about. It's hard to think about. And it certainly is one of the areas, Rosie, where I would say um, getting appropriate financial advice to ensure that your insurances are in place. It's often a one-off event. It's yeah. You get them in place and then you leave them. It is something that I think that having the correct advice around is fundamentally important. Love it. So step number three. Step number three is estate planning. And this is where I'm talking about going towards the end of your life. And again, there's huge complexity to this, but I want to call something out really, really loudly here, Rosie. This is loud. I need a megaphone. Wait, are we going to say that it's called estate planning because we all thought that by the time we get to the end of our lives, we're all going to have these amazing sprawling estates? (laughs) Is it just me that has always thought, why do they call it that? I love that. I've never Do you know how many times in my life I say estate planning? Now you're going to make me think of it in a whole different way. More like a little apartment somewhere and we'll be lucky (laughs) if our kids visit us because it's in the the grotto. Tiny yeah. net worth planning. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Back to our non-estate estate planning. Estate planning. Is your megaphone? It's all yours. The floor is yours. My megaphone is 50% of Australians do not have a will in place. Whoa. Yeah. Now. I mean, assuming people pass and they have assets, where does that all go? Oh, now you speak to any estate lawyer, you speak to really go and speak to some of your mates because undoubtedly they've been part of this. When people die and there aren't clear instructions in place, a series of very awful things happen. It is a time when trustees, so for example, if there's a superannuation fund involved, there may be a super fund that is involved, a trustee that can be involved in making that decision. There are lawyers involved. There is the capacity for people to miss out. There is undoubtedly plenty of fighting and carrying on that can happen as a result. Either way, you being the person who has just passed away, your wishes aren't being met. We don't know what your wishes are. We don't know what you want. And the people left behind often have both an incredibly costly Mm. incredibly costly and an incredibly emotionally challenging time to try and try and get to the bottom of it. So first and foremost, guys, if you have a will, is it accurate? Is it up to date? Is it current? If you do not have a will, 
please, please, please get one in place. So and here's my question. Please. In order for it to be legal, what do you actually have to do? I mean, I'd, I'd be very happy to draw up a little Word document right now and then email someone saying this is official as of this date. Would that cover me? Oh, look, the funny thing is, is what you've just said then, there would be an acknowledgement of that. If you set, if you put, if you wrote an email tomorrow and sent it to someone and you died the day after and they read that email, yeah. there is absolute intent in that and, and, and that would be considered, but it isn't a legally binding okay. will and testament. So to do something that is absolutely unmovable, i.e. you pass away and this is what's going to happen to your money, then you need to go through the official legal parameters of writing a will and testament. And that can be done in a couple of different ways, Rosie. You can walk into a post office and get an easy will kit. It's a couple of hundred bucks and you can do it yourself. You can jump online. There are plenty of reputable sites online where you can bash out a pretty straightforward basic will for a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah. Alternatively, you can go. At, so your your subject matter expert in the category of wills is a, an estate lawyer. They are a specific solicitor who specialises in these matters, and there are plenty of them around on the high street. You know, there's dedicated um, solicitors that do it, and that can cost anywhere from a couple hundred bucks to a couple of thousand, depending on the complexity of what you need to put into place. Mm. Rosie, other than your assets, so this is what we're talking about, obviously. Wills, where's my money going to go? I, I just want to draw your attention to one really important thing. To yep. anyone with children, the second that you have a child in this world, you need to have guardianship in place. No yes. one ever wants to consider it. Literally, I've got shivers. I'm here talking to you and I do this all the time and it puts shivers up my spine. I'm a mum and I never, ever, ever want to think that I would ever not be there. But Sometimes that happens and it is fundamentally important to ensure that you have documented who you would wish to have look after your children in that event because, again, it's a fundamentally huge decision that if you haven't put into writing, mm. then you are leaving that to other people to make that decision. So. Scary, scary to talk about, but yet again, it's a reality. It is. It is. Sorry, the reality check. Ew. I know. I know but these are the topics. And as mums, most of us listening, you know, as, as women, this is this is the reality. So, okay, we've we've talked about estate planning. Is that everything we need to think about in terms of for down the track? Oh, look. Your stuff? I mean, that's a silly question, no doubt. Yeah, it is. Look, I, I, uh, Rosie, you, you don't let me speak for the three hours that I clearly <laughs> need on this stage. I think we have we have summed up for me being, so let's take this back again, emergency fund, insurances, estate planning, wills. Yes. There is complexity in all of these and I think they are fundamentally important. Some of the things like the emergency fund, you can just start that today and I hope those listening will just start it. Whatever you've got is better than nothing. Yeah. Insurances and estate planning, this is where there is lots of benefits in seeking advice. You know, there's lots of benefits in just going and speaking to someone, get it in place, and then it is a set and forget. This is a set and forget. And Jen, that doesn't have to cost such a packet, does it, getting the right advice? No, look, absolutely not. And look, the cost of advice is such a common question, Rosie. I think people often feel like, how will I ever get advice? I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. I think fundamentally the important thing is, is speaking to people and trying to find out where there is an advisor that 
um, connect with you and and can cater for what it is that you are looking for because we're all looking for something different and in turn understanding what they charge up front you know, and that is your absolute right to understand what that charge is. It's really important to understand the work that a financial advisor does. And certainly in our industry, there's been phenomenal change and overhaul over the last couple of years. And I'm biased, but I would say the transparency provided in terms of the work behind the scenes for financial advice is now absolutely there. These yeah. are these are phenomenal professionals who work incredibly hard and they're not charging you to rip you off. They're charging you because they've done 8, 10, 12, 15 hours worth of work mm. to put together a financial plan for you. So, and Yeah, and let's face it, if they're going to be giving you good advice, then that's going to be making you and saving you a lot of money for down the track. So this really ultimately at the end of the day, you'll come out better for it, even if you need to pay for their fees upfront. You know, it's exactly right. side of that bigger picture around it. And Rose, the one I correlate it to, um, and I often correlate financial advisors to personal trainers. And that is because, you know, we always say, oh, you can do this on your own. A lot of this stuff you can do on your own. You're absolutely right. You can. And it's the same as I can work out on my own. I don't need a personal trainer to teach me how to work out. I don't need a personal trainer to tell me I need to eat less carbohydrates and work out more, but I need the motivation to do it. And I need something that's tailored for me and my body. And I need someone who's there holding me accountable. And that is also a phenomenal aspect of financial advice. And in turn, I've paid a lot of money to personal trainers over the years. So the professionals. Right. You're looking fantastic. <laughs> you biased woman, you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, look, it does sound like that's a very smart investment and it is what we need to hear. I mean, we, we did say today's topic is going to be one that we all don't necessarily find sexy, but I think we've achieved a lot. Um, you know, we brought it back to the topic of personal trainers, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> that is the sexiest part of this whole chat, guys. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I did warn you all up front to stay with us. Yeah. The sexiest bit is thinking about the personal yeah. trainer. Well, I can't wait to get my personal trainer over to my estate where we'll be planning. Jen, you've done it again, honey. Thank you so much for keeping us inspired and educated and motivated. Like you said, you know, you're holding us accountable by taking us by the hand and guiding us through all of this information. I'm learning so much. And for everyone at home, when you've got a question for Jen, you can ask her reallysimplemoney.com.au. We're standing by. We can't wait to see all your brilliant questions. And, uh, and of course, don't forget the newsletter with great tips and the chance to win a month's worth of groceries. So, and, of course, everybody, thank you for listening. Your support has just been superb in getting this campaign up and rolling, making paid contributions to superannuation during maternity leave. That should be compulsory. And we are hell-bent on making it happen. Genevieve Frost, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Rosie. Thank you, audience, for listening in. Chat soon.